Hello and welcome to the Paddock Pass podcast. Steve English and Gordon Ritchie at the final round of the Superbike World Championship. And Gordo, I didn't think we were going to get to this point earlier in the season that we we're going to have eight rounds. We were going to have a full championship more or less. And it's been a hell of a ride through 2020 for everyone. It's been amazing. I've never seen a season like it. Not even close to it. Uh, we started off in a great big long haul. Supposed to go to Qatar. Never happened. We all had to come to Europe. Even then, we were thinking, oh, maybe we're not going to get a whole year in. Maybe we're going to get half it. And as it progressed and things got worse, we thought, well, it's just not going to happen. What are we going to do? Then we had a huge break, longer than the winter break. Um, but then we started racing again. We actually got a full season. And we because we have three races per weekend, we ended up with a very full season. Um, and the people that did that really deserve to be applauded because I'm sure this is not a normal financial season for any of them. They're doing it to keep our businesses going. And I'm, I, for one, personally, I'm very happy about it. But we got a real season in, and we actually got a bit of intense one that Jonathan said yesterday he actually liked. He liked the intensity in the back-to-backs and so on. He, he felt like he could keep his concentration. So I think on balance, it ended up being a kind of great season. Yeah, he liked the intensity of it. Toprak didn't seem to like the intensity of it. He was talking in terms of he's fried by the end of this season, wants to be able to mentally reset before the November yeah. tests. Scott Redding's talked about the fact that as a as a rookie in the championship, fair enough, Scott's got all the experience. We've talked about it a lot during the course of the season. He's got all this experience, but when it's one round after the next, you don't really get the time to assess everything fully. You don't get the time to develop the package as fully as you'd like in your first season. So maybe having this intense season probably plays a little bit into the hands of someone like Jonathan as well. Yeah, that's true. There is there is an element of that. Um, but I think when you have a bad weekend, you want to have a good weekend to make up for it. Uh, I think there has been a fair amount of testing before we got started again. It's always going to be more difficult for a rider changing bikes, changing teams, and in Scott's example, coming into the championship full stop. Um Yes, it's probably more a difficult ask for him, but it was always going to be a difficult ask for anybody doing that. Um, the, but the, I think for the engagement of the fans, etc., there's a lot to be said for having blocks of intense action. Um, the only problem that it's maybe taken away from what's been a really good year here is the fact that there's so many clashes with every other race series. You know, I think there's there's four championships going on right now all around the world. It's you can't help but if you're a bike race fan, everybody gets a bit diluted. Yeah, it's pretty special Sunday here in uh, Portugal for us. Obviously, we've got the final races of our season. The British Superbike Championship comes to a culmination this weekend as well. Obviously, a good title fight going on there. And then you've also got MotoGP this week heading into the closing rounds of its season. Formula One obviously has had a lot of clashes with races over the course this year as well. So it really is a case of, like you said, Gord, just everything condensed, thrown in on top of one another. If you're a race fan sitting at home, it's fantastic. If you're working in either in any of these championships, it's very easy for your races to be overshadowed as well. It's it's been a very strange season in that regard. Yes, um, and it's brought forward a few other things. Um, here we are in Estoril. Did anybody think we'd ever end up going back to Estoril? Well, it probably took something like this for this to happen, just because it's in Iberia, and it's actually been great. The fans, the you know, unfortunately, fans can't come to most of the races and, and when they can they're in very small numbers but otherwise it's actually been a very positive thing to come somewhere like this yeah and this has been a really cool weekend as well because this has been a absolutely 100 brand new track for everyone 
Some riders have been here in the past, but they haven't been here on super, super yes. bikes. Teams have been here in the past, but maybe it was with an endurance bike, like the GMT 94 team. But with other teams, they're coming here, looking at data from different championships, trying to understand what kind of gearing they need, what kind of shift pattern they need, what kind of electronics package they need. They rolled out in free practice one. It was all about the riders trying to understand the track. That's where we saw the likes of Alex Lowe's came in straight away talking about, I love the character of this place. It reminds him of a BSB track. The barriers are close. It's narrow. It's a real old school test. We got to free practice too, and that's whenever teams were then able to assess the data from the first 50-minute practice session, move on, and try and improve the bike. So you get to free practice three where you're confirming everything that happened on Friday. And then you go into the Super Pole session and I tell you what, it was just chaos. Yeah, it was unreal. I mean, when, when Redden went down, then Ray, I think there was five riders all in went down. It was like, wow, what, what is going on? We honestly thought at one stage there was something on the track. There had to be because so many people were falling off in funny places. It wasn't like what, all one corner. We just thought, well, there must be something, one little thin smear of something down, and it wasn't. I think it was just nerves. Yeah, I was talking to Florian Marino after it. Uh, Florian, obviously, a lot of experience in the Superbike paddock in the Stock 1000 class. He has been on a Superbike as well. If you think back to 2018, he was on the... He was on a Honda. He was on the Triple M Honda for one round out in Argentina as well. But for Marino, he was just talking in terms of a lot of riders just pushed a bit too hard. They were trying to, basically, they spent three sessions trying to get their feet under the table and then yes. this was whenever it was time to start pushing on. And he just said, you know what, a track like this, you actually need a lot of experience around here to really be able to push. We've seen bikes very twitchy. We've seen a lot of bikes moving around underneath riders all the way through the weekend. So suddenly, whenever you really start to push on in a session like this, you can have a crash. Yes, and I think it is a very tricky layout here. You're, you're putting a lot of load on the front end. You're, you're constantly on the side of the bike. Um, is, there, is there anywhere on this track where you're actually upright? Well, the main straight. Even then, you're always still moving on the main straight. Yeah, you know, there's... Uh, it is. Amazingly, a million years ago, I came here for a, a road launch, Honda CBR 600 road launch. Um, so I've actually ridden around here. Um, and yeah, it's just, you're constantly being funneled in corners. That little chicane is particularly nasty because it's actually downhill all the way from the top of the hill on the right hander you go through a, a couple of series of corners and then all of a sudden you've actually just been accelerated all the way down that hill and then all of a sudden you're braking you've never seen so many experienced riders twitching lifting the back end not quite on the perfect line going into that little chicane and even up until yesterday some of them were working out what their line was because you can go around that little bit a million different ways yeah and going into yesterday we talk to riders on the Friday obviously about what they thought of the track how they were evolving all the way through it and it was interesting that you heard a lot of riders saying I'm still trying to figure out whether this corner is first gear or second yeah. corner or second gear so into turn one they still hadn't fully figured out their shift pattern just yeah. because they didn't have the time 250 minute sessions and they're also not allowed to change all the internals anymore so they've just got to do it with sprockets and, and, and swing arm lengths and so on that's it you can't just suddenly go, oh, I tell you what, we need to change third gear for three of those corners. Well, you can't do that. So you have to look at the whole track in the round, which actually, you think it simplifies things, but it actually makes things more difficult because you have to make one big change rather than a whole series of specific changes, uh, which might mean that someone that gains you in three places loses you in two. 
And that's another thing that maybe we don't talk about enough, but you can see when people say, oh, I've got this sector's better for me, this sector's better for him. Well, that's partly to do with gearing as much as bike performance or individual rider performance. Yeah, that's been one thing that's been interesting all the way through this weekend as well, because we've seen that we've had lots of different bikes competitive here. It's a short lap. It's only four kilometers, 4.1 kilometers. It's a minute 35, minute 36, minute 37 kind of lap. Yeah. So it's a short lap. So you always expect to see the field quite compressed in that sort of situation. But it's been really close. And it's been a case of we didn't really see a big gap between anyone. Obviously, Scott Redding was able to hit the ground running from the start of the weekend. But he didn't have this big gap as the weekend progressed. And it's been really close. The Yamahas have been really competitive all the way through this is another one of those circuits where the bike to be on is the yamaha just like it was in catalonia arguably like it was in australia as well and we've seen the ducati strong we've seen obviously jonathan on the kawasaki very strong and uh, the honda of bautista and haslam hasn't been that strong but still able to qualify in the front row for leon able to use the the q tire very well Yes, I mean, the Honda's shown it's, uh, it's through the season character here again, where it's great and then not so good, great, not so good, um, even session by session. Uh, the Yamaha seems to be the bike to be on, as you say, purely because there's so much, what we touched on earlier, there's so many changes of direction, long corners. Everybody that's ever got on a Yamaha says that that's the 40, is the cornering, it's the long corners. Um, as long as the temperature's right for it, that's the track to, the, the ideal place for a Yamaha. Um, and it's incredibly busy, this track. You're always on the side and you're always transferring. Um, the the Kawasaki, again, has got different, even though it's across uh, the frame four-cylinder, has got very different characteristics. Alex Laws will talk to you all day about it. Um, so all the bike's characteristics are being thrown up here. But the Ducatis are actually handling this better than I thought they might because they seem to have a problem with those changes to direction sometimes. Um, and the long corners, and yet here, it all seems to work out, whether that's the negatives balancing out the positives and the result being good. But I honestly thought, mm, this is maybe not going to be the great place for the guy except down the main street. And let's get let's get into it now, Gordo, as well, because obviously we've got plenty of news to get through to later on in the show, obviously the rider market news especially. But let's get straight into it. Jonathan Ray's been able to wrap up his sixth consecutive world championship. And, you know, it's easy to... It's easy to downplay just how good Johnny is, but I think this weekend we saw another example of what he can do whenever he feels that he needs to take it to another level. We saw him crash in the Super Bowl session, cold tire crash at the start of that session, wrecked the bike, and uh, the next time he gets on that bike is to do his siding lap to the grid. So he's able to do two siding laps, gives himself a little bit of an, un an understanding of what to expect, but at the start of the race where he's going out to try and get across the line, finish off a world championship, starting from the fifth row of the grid, he was cutting through like no man's business. He was able to show a bit like what we see with Mark Marquez, that whenever push comes to shove, he's got that extra level compared to some of the other riders. Yes. Uh, his talent to ride, to adapt, to change the conditions and so on is huge. His experience is huge. Let's not downplay that. But he's always shown that same kind of will-to-win character. That's what he wants to do. He wants to win every race. That's why he's won so many. He doesn't like to settle. But him and his team are intelligent enough to settle. They weren't going to get on the, the, the podium and he didn't. After all that hard work he did and all those moves forward, at the end of the race, he just didn't have the package. And he, he still settled for it. Other people would say, no, no, I have to be on the podium to win the championship. It's the 
I think Johnny's main talent, beyond his his ability to ride almost any any condition uh, at the top level, competitive with anybody else and better than most, is ultimately he can he's cool. He rides. He looks cool on the bike. He doesn't look like he's moving around and jumping around on it. When he's going fast, when he's going slow, he just looks the same. But that's also, I think, uh, uh, in his head, it's all going in slow motion to Jonathan. The really, really great riders are, they, they're thinking at the kind of racing speeds at a very busy track like that, that me and you do walking down the street avoiding other pedestrians. That's the, that's another difference. That comes from experience. But there's also an innate thing that all those really top riders talk about things just being at normal speed. It doesn't feel hurried. They don't feel, oh my goodness, I'm going fast here. I'm really pushing it. Johnny seems to be able to take it to the limit and just stay there. And most of the time not fall off. Obviously the blip and Super Bowl uh, and, and warm up yesterday, you know, what can you do? You know, it's uh, everybody's human. Um, but I think that's his great strength is his ability to adapt and see things happening without getting stressed about it while he's out on the bike you can see Johnny in the, in the Gary sometimes and he's you can see he's a bit stressed and he's talking kind of excitedly to his crew chief and you know but on the bike it seems to just like he flips a switch and it's race mode maybe it's his old motocross thing maybe when the bike's moving around like crazy the, the way to go through all those motos is to be relaxed on the bike maybe he's just as part of that is uh, uh, that long experience he's got um but the package is what wins over there. If Jonathan didn't have the team he had and the bike he has, it would be much more difficult. The team bring a consistent bike all the time. Kawasaki bring him a good enough bike all the time. And Johnny brings top performance all the time. That's why Johnny can do what he does. Yeah, I spoke to Pera Reba about this actually. Pera is obviously Johnny's crew chief. And uh, I spoke to him about what's important. And you know what he said was, as a crew chief, he's obviously got the experience of being a rider. And yeah. all that matters to a rider is how it feels. It doesn't matter what the data says. It doesn't matter what should work. It doesn't matter what the conditions are like out on track. As long as it feels good, you're going to do all right. So let's have a quick listen to what Pereriba had to say about that. For me, I always say that uh, people make racing sometimes very complicated. But maybe for me, simple, because what you're saying I was a rider and I really know the important things for the rider. And as you said, even now, now after five time world champion, he's the best in the history. He's, he's, he's God. Johnny's God, okay, in World Superbike. But I, I go and I say, Johnny, fuck, you are riding shit in this place. What are you fucking doing? But this relationship, he don't get angry with me. He just say, why, Peter? Okay, let me know. And he's open. And I'm exactly the same as him. He come to me, Peter, like shit, tío. He, uh, he's not turning or whatever. And then I check that and I said, fuck, yeah, Johnny's fucking shit. Let me try to help you. This is, this is, is uh, very important. Very important. Open mind. And not only with that, open mind with the technical things, open mind with the people, open mind with everything. And I think one point that I always say, I think my biggest uh, point is that I really know a bike is riding by a feeling because I was a rider. This is something that the engineers don't understand. 
they don't understand. They just see lines, they just see one plus one is two, and they just see the curve of the of the things, and they don't understand that feeling is the most important. And I'm always just, Johnny knows me very well. Johnny don't tell me never, ever, nothing to do in the bike. I just say, Johnny, concentrate. And sometimes for today I said to him, concentrate in this corner. Let me know when you break, if the bike goes in position tomorrow, or you have to push too much in the brakes to go in position. Let me know the feeling, you know? And the feeling makes the setup, <laughs> you know what I mean? And this is what I really understand, and I'm just focused with Johnny to give him the feeling to understand in every single corner, entry, exit, break, changing, feeling. This is what people don't understand or what many people focus in on other things because they focus in the fucking data. Yeah. And this is not feeling sensor that I always make a joke with the young engineers. Oh, Pedro, look, look here, the chatter. Look, if you do this, we do that. Okay, all right. And then I go in front, I say, fuck, what is the sense of feeling? I, I cannot see, where, where you are? What, what do you mean? You know? You understand? Yeah. And I think this is what we have special. Myself and my knowledge, the way to make the setup, the way to make the, 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 the develop for the future, okay, that is, of course, you need, of course, you need to, to have the engineers to help you, but you need to tell them what rider, rider feels. And I think this is my uh, strangness to give the rider what he needs to get from the bike. The partnership that we've seen with Pariba and Jonathan Ray over the last six years, Gordo, it's, it's one where you've seen that huge amount of trust that both have for each other. And it's one where you see that at times Johnny will come in and complain about things and then it's up to Reba to be able to find the solution. But we've also seen this year that at times it's up to Reba to say, you know what, mate, you're not riding well. You've got to be able to adapt. You've got to do better than what you're doing right now. We saw that in Aragon where going into race two in Aragon one, Johnny wanted to make big changes to the bike and Reba just said, no, you need to change yourself. You need to break earlier so that you're able to to change your style on the bike and it'll work fine. And Johnny spoke about how that was one of the best races of his career just because they made this big step at a track that they didn't expect to go well. Yes, and and ultimately a good crew chief and rider relationship is one whereby the, the rider in theory should always be the boss, always give the rider what he wants. But when the crew chief knows the rider well enough and understands that look, really this isn't, you know, you just need to do more, the rider believes him. There's no confrontational, there's no transactional thing. It's just, oh, well, if he says it, that must be true. Um, and you you can't buy that, you can't make that, you can't take crew chief X and rider Y and make that happen. There has to be some kind of uh, bond and trust there, as you say, and you can get that from experience, good experience, 
if you've got a crew chief and you're losing for three years and it's not happening, you've got a lot of experience, but it's not working out. Well, for those guys, it worked out from day one. When Perry always said, when Johnny first jumped on the bike, he, he, when he came in and he just had a big smile on his face and they kind of looked at each other, they says, I just knew right away, that was it. You know, and Johnny knew right away, he said, no, now I've got a bike I can win the championship on. And Perry thought, no, this guy's going to be able to win the championships. I think coming into this season, maybe not so much Phillip Island, but the restarted season, I definitely had an expectation that this could be the beginning of the end for Ray because the calendar didn't look to be suiting him. Obviously, Phillip Island is... Uh, it, we always talk about it. Phillip Island is a round of itself. But we saw Johnny have a crash. We saw him have to then spend the next four months really looking at a championship table where he's looking up towards other riders. It could be Scott Redding. It could be his teammate. It was always going to be tough for Johnny. And then suddenly we go to Hareth. And we're not in Hareth in April, like had been planned. Or I think it was actually late March, like had been planned, where the temperatures would have been low, where it would have been a lot easier for the Kawasaki. We go to Portimao. Obviously, we know Johnny's going to go well in Portimao. It doesn't matter whether it's hot, cold, raining, sunshine, anything in Portimao, he's going to go well at. But then we've got Aragon, always been a tough track for Kawasaki. In the heat, it was always going to be even worse. Catalonia was always going to be warm. Magni Cores obviously was going to be a good track for, for Johnny as well. And then when Estoril got added, it's a new challenge for everyone. But this calendar really set up a big challenge for Ray, where it was a case of you take away his best tracks. We've talked about this before in the pod. You take away Emily, you take away Donington, you take away Qatar, you take away Aston. Places where of those four rounds, he would have expected to win eight or nine races. You take away big point scoring rides and it was going to be a massive challenge for him. And this was going to be a season that was really going to test Kawasaki. And instead of that, they've been able to adapt their bike. They've been able to make a big step forward. And I think maybe I undersold how tough it was going to be for Scott Redding as well, though in this situation where there was a condensed season, having experience was going to be a big benefit with these Pirelli tires, with your bike, with your team. And maybe the shortened season, the condensed season, made things a little bit more difficult for Redding. But it looked on paper that it was going to be really difficult for Ray. Yes, um, and he didn't do well in lockdown, as he's said a couple of times now. Um, it, it's a new experience for him. Last year, with Batista running away, was one thing, but that couldn't have prepared him for this year where there was other riders uh, ahead of him, including his own teammate in the first round. He had a very tough first round. He uncharacteristically made a mistake. Um, it w that would have been a very long time for Jonathan to prepare, and you can prepare all you like. Until you get on the bike again, you don't know how it's going to go. What I think the whole Kawasaki package, Jonathan, the team, everything demonstrated this year was their ability to to run at a consistently high level every session all the time, uh, more than they've ever done any other previous season, especially given exactly what you said about all the tracks weren't necessarily their best ones. So I don't know if they could find more focus than they bring normally, but I think that the end result of that focus was better than it would be in any other time. And that I think is the difference. They managed to do what they did at their best tracks, at some of their worst tracks. And if there's an undercurrent to the, why Jonathan was quite as good as he was and ended up winning with two races left, that might be it. Yeah, I spoke to Johnny about this as well. So we'll listen to what Ray had to say about the challenges of the calendar and also the challenges of trying to understand where to make a little bit more ground with the Kawasaki. He talks about the knowing the strengths and weaknesses of the bike and trying to be able to develop that. So let's hear what Jonathan Ray had to say. After Puerto Mao, I was a bit worried 
this calendar might not suit me the best. I mean, I think when it came out, Hareth not being my strongest circuit, when it came out, I looked at it and I wasn't, I was like, fuck, you know, a bit gutted. That we didn't go to places like Assen, Donington, Imola, Argentina, Qatar, and suddenly we're like faced with a lot of my weaker circuits. And, um, but how we got through Aragon was unreal. Like that was legit surprise thought. And that's why I think on TV or even just the images after race twos in Teruel and Aragon, that was probably the, one of the best wins of my career, that Teruel one. And um, our bike generally, we know its strengths and weaknesses inside out, but one of the biggest weaknesses was in the really hot conditions, we struggled with grip from the, especially the rear, would have a little bit more tire drop than some of our rivals and, um, and obviously power. But we know our strengths as well. We can stop the bike really good, change direction well, and we have a lot of mechanical traction. So when we, we knew in the off season we needed to try and get the bike to turn better, and it's something I've been complaining about a lot because when, I, when the thing doesn't turn well, I tend to use more angle, spin it more in the rear to turn it with the rear instead of a natural bike flowing. So that works well until you're competing with bikes that are just better and they're doing it better. So it got our head above water in Jerez, for example, this year where I was able to make it work. But somewhere like Barcelona where, okay, race one was race one, I won, but race two, the pace was a bit better. And I really started to struggle a little bit in the last couple of corners and you can't make a bike turn that doesn't want to turn. So I was going to them last two corners and with fucking more angle, thing wasn't turning and I was just nervous of it. So, so once we made an improvement, we still have a long way to go to improve in that area. We know, we really know our weaknesses. Like I went to our debriefs and my, my comments don't go fall on deaf ears, if you like. They don't just show me the championship position and walk out and be like, yeah, we're high-fiving each other. But they all know where we need to improve and that's good to hear, you know. they. But it's hard in a production drive championship right now to know what's what because it all stems from a, a production bike. You can't, you see like the limitations of some of the other manufacturers where they can't just cut off the head pipe and move it or shorten a swing arm even more because the standard bike doesn't allow you them parameters. Where I think our bike's a really good base bike, but we're starting to see it's some weaknesses now where the others have caught up. And um, the most evident one's top speed, but there's also some areas where, from a chassis point of view, we can work and be better. So, Gordo, we came through all those rounds. We came to Estoril. Obviously, Johnny only needed a handful of points to be able to clinch this championship. He talked in his champions press conference about pretty much it would have taken the worst weekend of his career for him not to be able to win the championship. But he also wasn't leaving anything for chance. He stayed out in Spain. He stayed out with one of his mechanics for a week just to be able to train out in Spain and not have to get on a flight, not run the risk of having any extra hassle or picking up COVID as well. We've seen already this weekend in MotoGP that if Valentino Rossi can get it and sits out a race weekend, it can happen to anyone and the penalty is going to be the same for everyone. So certainly for Johnny, he was making sure that all his ducks were in a row. Yes, um, I think it was very important to make sure he got the job done um, and as easily as possible, easily, as as straightforward as possible. Um, he was a bit nervous 
uh, I think it was a, it's tantalisingly close. I think everybody probably thought he was going to get it done in Magnicure, even at that final race. I think everybody, you know, was we were all thinking that. Um, and here he has to go again. So he had to summon everything up again. But yes, we live in strange times. The travel is the big thing for everybody this year. Um, and he, although he doesn't stress about these things, I think this time he thought, you know what, I'm just going to play double-double safe. Yeah, I was talking to him during the during the gap between these rounds and it seemed that the thing he was most stressed about was being able to keep seeing the Northern Ireland football matches because they had a big <laughs> playoff game. So the, the two of us were texting each other during that game and uh, obviously the Republic ended up not so lucky. The North got through on their shootout, but uh, it hasn't been a bad week for Johnny M with all things considered. Good result in football, good result in the races and uh, he's been able to clinch that sixth championship. But I want to move on from talking about Jonathan because we'll try and get a proper sit-down interview with Jonathan during the course of the winter tests. But I wanted to talk about some of the other news within the Superbike paddock. We've talked an awful lot about the rider market over the course of the last couple of weeks. I think we all got a little bit blindsided by what happened, and definitely Chaz Davis got blindsided by it, with uh, the news that Ducati are only going to keep Scott Redding and Michael Rubin Rinaldi next year. Uh, there had been an expectation that they were going to keep all three potentially on you know, a one-year contract for each try and prove it, see what happens with the factory stage. There was the thought of that, and it makes an awful lot of sense. It would cost more, and maybe that's the, what things boil down to as well, is, is, is also a lot about money, especially in these times. Um, but yes, it, taking Rinaldi is a good decision, probably for the future. Might not be the greatest decision for next year, we'll soon find out. He has won a race and podium, and good luck to him. It's great to see a younger rider getting promoted into a, a full-time factory seat. It's all positive. The negative is that the guy who has outscored everybody else uh, on that bike in the second half of the season, I believe, is now out. And he's only been able to do that scoring because of the kind of rider he is. He's quite sensitive rider, Chaz. When you give him a bike to do the things, he can do the things. He's been asking for a year and a half for a bike that, that works the way he needs it to work. When they give him it, he performs, he scores really well, and then they get rid of him, which was, I find, a bit strange. Um, it all depends what they're... If the big motivation next year is for Scott Redding to be the world champion, I think they have to do that in a kind of gang mentality. They have to get the other Ducati riders to help them, and that's that's understood. Um, whether that's going to be easier to do with uh, Ronaldo next year, or whether it's going to be... Would have been easier to do with Chaz, and ideally with both of them, taking points off Jonathan when he's not having a great day. Um, maybe that's what they need to do because Johnny on his own is a difficult nut to crack. Yeah, and I think for me, I I can't blame Ducati for making their decision because they've paid Chaz Davis to win world championships over the last four or five years and he hasn't been able to do that. Now, the problem for it is is that we know what Chaz is capable of. We know he can win races. We know that whenever he gets the right bike underneath him that he's a proper front-running talent in world superbikes. But the unfortunate reality for Chaz is at the cost that he is, they're able to get Rinaldi in, they're able to take in a race winner, they can see whether or not it works. They've got Scott Redding there to be their lead rider. And obviously Ducati over the last few years, especially with the V-Twin era, they had Chaz Davis try and win the championship and they had a second rider that was good enough to be able to win races but never really able to sustain that over a full season. So they're almost back to that same model, whereas potentially they could have had... Scott Redding, Chaz Davis, Michael Rubin, Rinaldi, three race winners, two 
genuine title contenders and then the young rider that they can bring bring forward as well. I can't blame Ducati for making the decision because you can get Rinaldi on the back of a good season for cheaper and he's the right nationality. They've brought him through the ranks all the way through. So it's a good decision by them, but it's tough for Chaz whenever you see that there aren't really an awful lot of seats. It reminds me an awful lot of Eugene Laverty whenever he was left high and dry with the Aprilia contract. And uh, obviously there was factors went into that as well for Eugene, just like there has been for Chaz. But uh, it's definitely a situation where it's tough to see a landing spot now for Davis. Well, that's the, the bottom line of it all is that we're going to potentially lose uh, a rider who's third in a championship. Um, that is slightly odd um, for the whole championship. Whatever way you cut it, Charles Davis is an asset to this championship. Was he ever going to be world champion on Ducati? Well, he had quite a lot of years to try and it didn't work out. If the single question that Ducati were asking himself, as my Italian friends in the media keep saying, was Charles going to win the world championship for Ducati? They have made their mind up that he, he wasn't. Therefore, he goes. But as I say, I think the bigger picture is who's going to be able to help Reading do it next year. And maybe Charles would still be that guy. Maybe they say, okay, Charles, we don't see you as a world champion, but if you want to stay here, you become the more development side. You race as hard as you like, but you kind of have to defer to Scott. That's what we're backing. Maybe that would be unacceptable to any rider. Maybe that would be the way that thinks, well, you know, that's still good. Charles keeps going on about Ducati winning the world championship. He wants to do it, but he also spoke at the last round about my aim is to help Ducati win this world championship. And he didn't specifically talk about himself. So maybe um, he would be the ideal person to... Because we, we've seen him, he can beat Johnny, uh, hands down, when everything's right for him. It, it's got to be right, and it's got to be the right track and everything else. But he can just win. Um, and I think it's going to take a team effort on Ducati. I really do. And they, the main thing they have to do next year is actually not people. It's get the bike right every weekend. Because when the bike's right, Scott Redding has shown that he can beat anybody and he can do it more than once. But the bike's got to be right. When the bike's not right, he can't do it. How can he? That's why I keep going on about Kawasaki's consistency. But it's not consistency. It's consistency at absolute top pace every track. That's what consistency is. Ducati have to front up now. They have to provide a bike for Scott Redden, who will have this year's experience, that will take him through the whole season. There's no reason why they can't. That bike is proper. But they have to make it work every weekend for the rider that's on it. And, Gordo, we also saw other news this week as well. Yamaha confirming their lineup for next season. Obviously, we knew Top Rack was going to stay. And uh, it's worth just saying a quick note about Top Rack's performance here, race one in Estoril, because that was probably one of the best rides we've seen all season. Yeah, I mean, fantastic. When he's really on it, it's it's a joy to watch because he's he's aggressive, but he almost looks relaxed. Um, the bike's moving around. It's just it, it, full commitment, absolute full commitment. Um, and it just makes me wonder why it's taken the first race he won and then at the last round he's won. And he, he might win two again today. Yeah, speaking to Top Rack on Friday, he was talking about the team had made so many changes to the bike over the last few rounds, it's almost like he got confused. 
And then this week, they've just gone back to, here's a base package. Let's just build ourselves up through the race weekend. And that seems to have really helped him. But for Top Rack, whenever he's, like you said, when he's, when he's on it, there's no one that's able to, to go with him at times. It's the same with a lot of these top riders. Now, the championship's really strong. Obviously, we've seen Van der Mark have days like that as well. And the other Yamaha, we've seen lots of other riders do it. One rider that's come to prominence over the last few rounds, Garrett Gerloff. He's confirmed for next season as well. Another podium here in Portugal. This is three tracks in a row where he's a genuine front-running pace. Yeah, I mean, the best thing about Garrett is that he's uh, absolutely definitely proved that he's fast enough. This, this was the question mark, was given his experience and given the level of uh, some of the, the, the things he's been racing in, are you fast enough to come to World Championship at this level with this amount of technology and these experienced riders, winning riders and compete for speed? Well, he's proved that completely and he's also shown that he's, he can do it track to track to track. I asked him yesterday about the... Uh, the some riders get a podium, they break that breakthrough podium and they go, oh, and they kind of relax and the next race isn't so good. The one after that's not so good and then they start panicking again. It's not like a breakthrough for some of them. It can be like a pressure thing against them. So he's actually shown that not only can he handle the speed aspect of the, this class, but he's actually, his mentality seems good. He wants more and more and more all the time. How do I get it? Thinking his way to how he gets it and then riding like a demon when he gets on the bike. And no, very impressive. I have to say, uh, if there's more of them out there, bring them. Well, that's the one thing. We talked about it a few times in the last few podcasts about how Cameron Bobia could potentially have been on his way to World Superbikes as well. And it seems that that could be where he's actually going to World Championship level in the Grand Prix paddock instead. So good to be able to see American riders having that because Gerloff proves the level that's over there. We've, we've said an awful lot over the last few years that there could be tremendous talent over there, but until someone actually comes over, we don't have a yardstick. We've had some American riders have come over to different championships over the last few years, but they were never the right rider. Jake Gagne, for all the talent he has, was never a front-running Moto America rider. He had never been with a top team like Gerloff has been with the Graves Yamaha team. So up until this year, for Jake Gagne, he had always been a little bit behind the eight ball. Then you come to the World Championship and suddenly it's an almost impossible task to get yourself up to speed. For Gerloff, having that experience with a really good team, having been teammates with Bobier and having to go up against a rider like that every week really did show just what he had to do to be a top rider. And he's been able to do that in the World Championship as well this year. And it's great to see. We want to see fast Americans come through. We want to see fast Japanese riders coming through. And potentially, we might have that next year as well. Yeah, I mean, Yamaha have uh, gone back home for uh, one of their riders and that's great to see as well. He's uh, doing incredibly well in the Japanese Championship. Um, uh, this is what we want. We want more different nationalities that are fast enough to make an impact. I don't see any reason why the best riders from any of the national championships can't come here and do a job. I can't imagine them being the next Johnny Ray in five minutes, but they'll be able to do a job. And just a wee, wee thing in, the, in Gagne's defence, getting on that Honda that year was a very, very tough gig. So whatever his abilities were, we weren't going to see them anyway. Um, so you've got to be on the right bike here. And even though it was a 19 Yamaha, not a 20 Yamaha, in the GRT team for Gerloff, He's actually not used that as an excuse. He's just gone out and said, okay, this is what I've got, and, and, and went for it. But that bike is very different from the level of bike relative to the competition. Like, for example, Gagne came on. So there's another lesson for this championship. If you want your incoming riders to do well, you have to put them on a good bike. And with Yamaha having five seats, 
it's possible to put people on a good bike. It's you know, and I think it's a lesson for other manufacturers. Why don't we have a really good junior team, not just a decent junior team, but a really good one? If you want to grow new riders for the future. Well, let's look at one potential customer team next season. Obviously, we're hearing more and more rumors about BMW having that satellite operation next season. It looks like it's going to be a straight-up choice between Andrea Quadrante's team, the Reparto Corsa team that we see in the Supersport class with an MV, and uh, potentially Jonas Folger's team as well and from the German Championship. They could switch from a Yamaha to a BMW if they're able to find the budget. But these look like the only real two options for who can run that satellite BMW next season. Yes. Um, budget? Has anybody got a budget? If they're looking for budget, maybe we know the answer to that one already, because nobody's got any budget right now. But ultimately, um, it would be good to have another BMW team. Quadranti's guys are obviously very experienced. He's been around a long time. It would be great to see another two BMWs, but what I'd like to see, especially after this year's experience, and given what BMW have shown what they could do in the past, is to have two fast factory BMWs. Because when you've got riders like Tom Sykes and Eugene Laverty on your bike, and relatively speaking to last year, you've done less, quite considerably less really, that's no good. You know They have to fix the, the, the new bike, hopefully that's enough to let them truly compete again. But... I would be, if I was BMW, I'd be much more worried about making sure that next year is a proper year for the factory team and then bringing two bikes in the future. In their specific circumstances, it's not like their bike is winning every third race and they can just add something to it. Get the big thing right first and then you can worry about the rest of it. The bike on paper looks okay. It should be at least as competitive as the, the Yamaha, for example, um, without a massive, it's got a change, you've got more revs, it's got more, it should have more power. More reliability is what all those little things they're missing. And all you need to be is missing 1% here now and you're nowhere. Yeah, and uh, it's worth noting as well that this week on Monday, Michael Vandermark will have his first test with the team. Obviously, he's switching for, the, for next year. And a good indication of what they're planning to do next season is to hire a rider like Vandermark, a recent race winner, a guy that's contended for top three in the World Championship over the last few years. And... They're going to pay him as well, so it shows that the resources are going to be there and uh, they're going to try and use this new bike as well as possible. So it's going to be interesting to see how Vandermark can do on that new bike as well. We have we didn't actually manage to talk about it there whenever we were talking about Yamaha, but Andrea Locatelli confirmed on the Paddy Yamaha bike as well for next season. Good step considering when you dominate in Supersport like he's been able to do, you really do deserve a good opportunity. Yes. I mean, in Supersport, he's been in what's proved to be the best team on the best bike. Um it's a Yamaha, that's the one to be on in that class generally. Ultimately, it'll be very interesting to see what he does next year. But the speed he's shown in Supersport is transcendent. And it's not just the bike and everything else. Other people have been on that bike, won championships, competed for championships. Not the way he has. That's just almost domination. It's taking a former world champion with total determination like Mahias to overthrow him even once. So, it's going to be a very... Uh, or, or the crazy race in Barcelona. Um, ultimately, I think that's going to be one of the slightly under the radar most compelling stories of next year. How does the absolutely dominant World Supersport champion, which is how many top riders in Superbike have come along in the past, um, how's he going to do? Cortese didn't have so much fun. Krumenak are the same. Um, but Locatelli does seem to be a bit more there and, and we'll see if his style translates to Superbike yeah that's what I'm excited to see because 
he's got the opportunity now and he's able to show whether or not he can make that step, but it's up to him. He's not coming in on a bad bike. He's not coming in on a bad team. He's coming in with all the boxes ticked and now it just comes down to whether or not he's going to be able to get it done. It's probably the most competitive field I can ever think of in World Superbike history, front to back. You know, obviously we've had uh, the 90s with really peaks at the front of the field. But right now you look at the riders that are battling it out just to be able to score some points and they're top riders. So for Locatelli, he has to come in and uh, prove what he can do on a superbike. I'm really excited to see how he does. Yes, and again, I think it actually it strengthens the whole package. Um, I, yeah, I've been around a, a, a few years now in this championship and been watching it since day one. Ultimately, because of the rules, because this is where to be if you're going to race production racing, um, the, the way the world has changed, but ultimately I think mostly to do with the rules and the fact that there are quite a few manufacturers in it still, um, there are plenty of opportunities and they're now spreading that out. You you can't not give your supported teams a good bike anymore. The rules determine you have to. You have to give them what you've got and you have to make it affordable. It's not like, oh yeah, we can give you a factory bike but you've got to spend 250 grand. You're not, you can't do that anymore. If you want their forks, you pay the, the money that costs that, that's cost capped. It's nowhere near the real cost of the development and everything else. But me and you could put together a really good World Superbike for 130 grand. I mean, really, we could. Then it's the people that look after it and the rider you put on it. But the package, the hardware package, I think is responsible for a lot of that. And the fact that there's there, there's a good mix and blend of people here, all of whom are shown to be competitive, but they're competitive at a high level. They're having to beat Jonathan Ray, the greatest ever statistically, six-time champion, to win even one race. And we've had a whole rake of winners this year. That shows you the level that this is operating at now, to beat somebody that good, that consistent. What's their biggest strength? Consistency at a high level. And people are still beating them. This shows the strength of the championship when you do that. It's not like people are winning, different people are winning races because the standard's lower and more people can achieve it. I think everybody else has gathered up what they've got and put in a big effort and won because they're, they're improving and progressing, not because the standard's coming down. So the standard's getting higher, but the ability to reach it technically is evening out and therefore people are able to go, well, you know, I can, if I do well, I can, I can win this. I can win a race. I can be on a podium. As we've shown this year, privateers, independent riders, it's been great. That's the best thing about this year, I think, is the fact that independent riders are really there again. Is that the best thing about this year, Gordo? Or oh, is it the fact that know. you were able to actually have your pretty much the full season on a bike? Well, yes, except when the weather went bad and that was miserable. I have to say, the weather after the Magna, during Magna Cure and after Magna Cure was utterly miserable. You couldn't dry out. The the bike thing, I've actually had to fly here, long story, but you partly to use up flight vouchers that were going to go out of date. Um, and I flew down here because it was like I tell you change. what, that is the most but Scotsman thing in the world. Exactly, I, I take yes. away my enjoyment of a trip just so that I get something well, for free. The enjoyment is, is total, but we're not in normal times. We're in times of COVID. I'm not like, oh, well, I'll just go about sightseeing and I'll, I'll, I'll stay in a hotel in a city centre and see some of Barcelona and all that. No, no, no. I'm keeping away from the rest of the human race. I mean, I'm sitting as far away as you, from you right now as I can possibly get, Steve, and still be heard. That's fairly it's normal in terms, actually. Most people you know, tend to do that. With it's, me. Uh, it's, it's, it's been a great experience. It's been such a weird experience. And you know what? For an old guy like me, who's done this a lot of years, 
a lot of you know Groundhog Day is, is I understand the concept of Groundhog Day. This year has been a completely new experience for me in twenty different ways, and it's made my enthusiasm for the whole thing lift. Yeah, we we talked an awful lot about how writers found that during the course of the lockdown as well gave them new motivation, gave them different things to be able to to do. But uh, for you as well, it was the same, Gordo. Yes, I mean, I've had to work a different way this year. Even silly things like not having paper results to work from has made every one of my working days half an hour, an hour longer. Um, I like my bits of paper around me and I can't have them, so I've got to keep flicking through all the screens. There's just been a hundred different things I've had to do this year. We've been lucky. We've had more freedom and we've exercised it very responsibly to speak to the riders and teams and so on. It's all arranged and people are brought to you, etc. more than, than any normal year. You don't go in their working areas. But we've obviously had more freedom than a lot of other championships Amy had. Um, and it still allowed me to do my job, which is ultimately to come and talk to people. You only really get the truth or the full story or the background story when you're there talking to another human being. That's when you get the off-the-record stuff that you can use and understand, but not necessarily quote people on. But you have to, you really have to, uh, be here to do that kind of thing and we've still been allowed to so it's a new experience in many ways but i'm still able to do the job the way i need to all right that's great gordo well thanks for joining us all the way through the season on the paddock pass podcast and uh, thanks to everyone for listening to today's show as well obviously we'll also have a moto gp show with david and neil and uh, hopefully myself and gordo will get a chance to catch up after the end of the winter tests as well so thanks for joining us again gordo absolute pleasure enjoyed it and uh, for everyone on Twitter, make sure to follow us at Paddock Pass Pod. And uh, also you can support the podcast at patreon.com forward slash Paddock Pass Podcast.